the four Gospels on a regular basis present Jesus as a teacher. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John picture Jesus Christ as a preacher and as a teacher. And when we come to those four Gospels, there are many, many statements that come from the mouth of Jesus. There are many words of Jesus that fill the four Gospels. But rarely do we find a long message or sermon or a discourse in these four Gospels. We have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We also have the Upper Room Discourse, which is called the Farewell Discourse, as Jesus is headed to the cross in John chapter 13 through 17. And then there is the Olivet Discourse, found in Matthew 24 and 25 and Luke 21 and in our passage. It's rare that we have a long portion of Scripture that is devoted to what has come out of the mouth of Jesus, even though those four Gospels are filled with teachings that Jesus gives on various occasions. Some of you have a red-letter Bible, and you look at the red letters in the four Gospels, and you'll find that Jesus is speaking all the time. But only on a few occasions has God seen fit for us to have in the Bible a message, a sermon from the Lord Jesus Christ. And even the ones that we have, uh, they're not long like the sermons uh, I preach or like others preach. Uh, they're short. They're concise. In Mark's version of the Olivet Discourse, he devotes 37 verses to Jesus' words concerning the future. Now, I realize we are oftentimes consumed with the present. We're consumed with the here and now. And we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what the future holds. But our Lord Jesus Christ, right before he goes to the cross, it's just a matter of days before he's crucified. Our Lord Jesus Christ takes the time to speak about what's going to happen in the future. One of his disciples pointed out to Jesus the magnificent stones and buildings that belong to the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus used that occasion to not only talk about the temple, but to talk about what will happen in the future. He wants us, as his followers, to have a clue about what the future holds. He doesn't want our heads to be buried in the sand as if, oh, I'm walking around. I have no idea what my Lord and Savior has planned for the future. And so we need to pay attention to Jesus' great prophetic message. We need to slow down and chew on it and make sure that we grab the impact and the thrust of what he's trying to say in these verses. In Jesus' great prophetic message, he predicts in verses 1 through 4 
that the temple will be destroyed. The very religious hub of Jews, the temple, that glorious complex. Jesus says the time is coming that one stone will not be left on another stone. And Jesus wasn't just talking in the air. Lo and behold, some 40 years later, the temple was destroyed. And not one stone was left upon another stone. So what Jesus predicted came to pass. And that's how we can know that anytime he talks about the future, it will come to pass because Jesus does not lie about the promises he makes regarding the future. In Mark chapter 13, verses 5 through 13, Jesus talks about the beginning of the birth pains. He uses the terminology that a woman can relate to who's had a child when labor begins. And Jesus says there's a time coming where there will be messianic pretenders, there will be cataclysmic events, and there will be great persecution. Now, when we look at our world, when we look at the word of God, we would have to say that time has not yet come that Jesus is speaking about something that will happen in the future in a period called the tribulation period, the beginning part. Jesus also predicts in verses 14 through 23 what he calls the abomination of desolation. That which is going to be horrendous, that which is going to be detestable, He says a time is coming where there'll be something so abominable that it will cause people to be ruined and desolate. And what he's talking about is that in the future, during the middle part of the tribulation, there will be a man known as the man of lawlessness. There'll be a man known as the Antichrist, and he will have the nerve, the audacity to enter into the temple of God. And he will go into that temple and he will proclaim and parade himself as God. That's a horrendous thought that somebody would go into a rebuilt temple, a place of worship, and says, I am God. And will parade himself and proclaim himself that he is God and above anything related to God. And Jesus says, when you see that happening, when you see that taking place, something major is going to take place. It's going to be a time of of tribulation, of false teaching, that the world will never, ever know in the future or have known in the past. Unparalleled tribulation. And so Jesus makes these predictions. And in the midst of making these predictions, he's not just trying to fill our heads with knowledge, but he's trying to motivate us to live watchful lives. Jesus was not of the mindset 
that if you know about the future, then it doesn't help you in the present. He had a totally different perspective. And so today we come to the last section of the Olivet Discourse. Jesus makes one more prediction. And in verses 24 to 37, Jesus predicts the coming of the Son of Man. The Lord predicts that after his own death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back to heaven, that he is going to come back to planet Earth a second time. Now, we rejoice about his first coming. Uh, We have Christmas where we remember the, the birth of Christ and we praise God for his first coming because that's when Christ went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins that we might have eternal life. But, but Jesus, before he gets ready to go to the cross, he, he wants his disciples to know that he will exist, so to speak, beyond the cross. That he's actually going to come back to planet Earth for a second time. And so as we come to verses 24 to 27, Jesus gives us the specifics of his coming. It begins with Jesus giving the time of his coming. He says in verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation, a double reference to time. In those days. In what days? The days of the abomination of desolation. The days of great tribulation. And in those days, Jesus gets a little bit more particular. He says, after that tribulation. After that unparalleled tribulation that is associated with the abomination of desolation, a time of tribulation that you can go all the way back to the beginning of the world and nothing will compare with it. You can go all the way to the future from Jesus' time of speaking to now. Nothing compares with it and nothing will. It's a time of tribulation, as I mentioned last Lord's Day, that is greater than the enslavement of 250 years of African Americans. It's a time of tribulation that is greater than the Holocaust. It's a time of tribulation that is greater than anything that you can find in your Bible. A time is coming where there will be great tribulation. And Jesus says, after that tribulation, something's going to happen. And so as we continue to look at his words, we see the setting of Jesus coming. And the setting is cosmological upheavals. I know that sounds strange, but but the scenery for when Jesus comes is not pretty at all. It's not going to be a bright and glorious day when Jesus comes the second time. In fact, Jesus says the sun will be darkened, 
the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. Think about that. The sun won't shine. And, and, and so that means when it's daylight, there won't be any day because it'll be dark. And, and when it's night, the, the, the moon won't give its light. So in the day, it will be pitch black. In the night, it will be pitch black. And while this is going on, Jesus says the stars of heaven will be falling. And he's not talking about one star or two stars. He's saying that numerous stars will be falling down to earth. Those stars that look so tiny and so small when we look at them at nighttime. who won't look so small and so tiny when they're falling to the earth. If that's not enough, Jesus says, the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Now we think about earthquakes regarding earth itself, but it's almost that there's going to be an earthquake in heaven, and it's going to shake up. We don't know exactly who Jesus is referring to or what he's referring to. It could be to angels are not likely, but stars, or it could be demonic beings, will be shook as if it was in a major earthquake. That's the scenery. Not very pretty at all. But when you come to verse 26, which is really the heart of this passage, you see the essence of Jesus coming. And what we need to do here, my friends, we need to slow down. We need to think and reflect upon Jesus' words in this verse. So often we're guilty of not thinking about the future. So often it, we don't reflect, we don't meditate, we don't chew on the fact that Jesus Christ is coming to earth once again. And so that truth is like a marvelous diamond that, that Jesus holds before his readers and says, I want you to look at how brilliant and how marvelous and how magnificent the truth of my coming actually is. And so in dramatic fashion in verse 26, Jesus gives the essence of his coming. And he says, then, then, after the sun doesn't shine, after the moon doesn't give its light, after the stars are falling from heaven continuously, then, and he says, they will see. And he doesn't identify the they. He doesn't call them by name or by a group. He just said they. And I take it that it's going to be everyone who is alive at that time. Whether they see during the daytime for some or in the evening for others or in the afternoon for others. They will see. 
with, with their own two eyes, they're going to see. And what are they going to see? They're not going to see the sun, moon, and the stars. They're going to see the Son of Man. They're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus uses his favorite phrase for himself. We might call him the Son of God. We might call him the Christ, but Jesus, more than any other title, uses this one, the Son of Man. When he healed that paralytic in Mark chapter 2, and he said the Son of Man has the authority, has the power to forgive sins, and he told that man to pick up his bed and walk. When the Lord Jesus Christ talks about his death, Oftentimes, he would say that the Son of Man is going to be handed over and betrayed, and he's going to be crucified, but he will rise from the dead. And in that key verse in Mark, chapter 10, verse 45, which is the major verse of Mark, when Jesus said he didn't come to be served, and when he referred to himself, he said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, then they shall see not a a picture, not an event, but a person. They will see with their own eyes the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will be such a marvelous event, such a wonderful event. And not all will appreciate it. Not all will value it. Because this is not just believers are the elect who will see him, but this is also the unbelievers. His second coming will be seen by all. He's not coming as a baby in the manger. He's coming as son of man who's presented in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, coming to the ancient of days, God himself. He's not coming conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. No, he's coming, as Jesus says, in clouds, with clouds. And not only that, Jesus says that the Son of Man himself will be coming with great power and glory. Think about the scenery. It's pitch black. The sun is not shining. The the, the moon is not giving its light. So if you're in that part of the world where it should be daytime, it will be nighttime pitch black. And if you're in that part of the world where it should be nighttime and you're expecting the uh, the moon to give us light, it's going to be pitch black. But then all of a sudden, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to burst upon the scene. And he's going to show up with great power and, and great glory. 
So his, his appearance will be glorious in nature. It will light up everything so that all will be able to see Jesus Christ. The second coming of Christ. And that's not the end of the story. Jesus goes on and says in verse 27. And look at that verse with me, verse 27. Jesus says, and then. So after they see the Son of Man, and then he, the Son of Man, will send forth the angel and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. So coming with Jesus, at least according to what he says in Mark 13, will be angels. And Jesus is going to send his angels. He doesn't tell us what they're actually going to do, but it's implied from the text because not only does Jesus send his angels, but Jesus is going to gather together the elect. So when we look at the details of the second coming of Jesus, we see in verse 27, the gathering together at the second coming. Let me try to fill in the details. Remember when we looked at the abomination of desolation, one of the things that that was going to result in was great tribulation. And the emphasis is not on unbelievers, but it was on the great tribulation that believers would experience. And it would be so great that if Jesus didn't shorten the time, he said none of the elect would make it to the end of the tribulation. Now, someone asked me a good question last week, and uh, no, who are these elect? These are Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. And the reason why he asked the question is because prior to the tribulation, you have the rapture, the church. We're gone. We're in heaven with Christ forevermore. And that kicks off the tribulation period. And in the middle of that tribulation period is the abomination of desolation. And in the last three and a half year, it's going to be tribulation like you've never, ever seen before. But during the tribulation period, God is going to turn to his people, the nation of Israel. And they will recognize Jesus as their Messiah. Book of Revelation chapter 7 and chapter 14 talks about 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. But those won't be the only people getting saved. They're going to be witnesses. They're going to get the gospel out. So people will get saved during the tribulation period. Not just Jews, but Gentiles. And they're going to, some of them will make it to the very end. Because Jesus will protect them. And because Jesus has shortened the days of that tribulation time. And when Jesus comes again, there's going to be a regathering. He's going to gather the elect. The saved people who are alive at the end of the tribulation period. So that they will come to him. Now, it's going to be a supernatural event. Angels are going to be involved in it. 
Uh, they're not going to be coming to Jesus on American airline, but on angelic airlines. Angels will make sure that all of the elect at that time will get to Jesus. And then Jesus, among other things, will set up his kingdom. And they will enter that kingdom with the Lord Jesus Christ. The second coming of Christ is the marvelous truth. And even though, according to my theology, we won't be on earth, the church won't be on earth, but we who are saved will be coming with Jesus at that time. Even though that is the case, we shouldn't miss out on how marvelous, how wonderful, how magnificent this truth is. And it's marvelous for a number of reasons, but let's, let me just share one reason why. This second coming of Christ lets us know that Jesus cares about his people. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how difficult or how hard your life is. But I know there's a tendency sometimes for us as the people of God to think Jesus doesn't care. And especially if we're going through some real hard times. And that happens in the Christian life. There are sometimes our marriages get shaken upside down. There are sometimes that at our jobs we're mistreated and ignored and abused. There's sometimes a parent might abuse a child. Our Christian child might mistreat their parents. There's a lot of things that we don't get to escape as Christians. But I just want to remind you that regardless of what you might go through, regardless of what I might go through, Jesus cares. Jesus cares. And I don't say that just because I hope it's true. I, I say that based upon the second coming of Christ. Because when Christ comes at this time, remember the elect, the believers in Jesus Christ, are going through the worst kind of tribulation that anyone in all of earth's history has gone through. They're going to be persecuted and afflicted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They're going to have to, as Jesus said, with regards to the abomination of death, they're going to have to run. They're going to have to flee. They can't even go back and get their household goods or their jacket. They're just going to have to get out of there. The persecution is going to be so severe. And it's going to be so bad, as I mentioned earlier, that if Jesus in his grace did not shorten the time of tribulation, then no one among the elect, no one among the believers in Christ would physically survive. And then the sun is going to be darkened. And the moon is not going to give its light. And stars 
are going to continually fall to earth. And there are going to be earthquakes, so to speak, in heaven. Powers will be shaken. But in all of that, Jesus says, I care. And the proof that I care is I'm coming back again. He's coming to gather together around him the elect, the ones who are going through all of those hardships and difficulties during the tribulation period. And he's going to gather them to him. And then they will enter with him into the kingdom of God on earth. We might say to ourselves, well, why should I worry about the second coming? We should worry about it because it reminds us that Jesus cares about us. That he's in control. Things are in his hand. And ultimately, it will work out for the good of the elect. We don't have to fret. We don't have to get discouraged and defeated and get down thinking that Jesus has forgotten us when the times are hard. When you start thinking that way, just look at the second coming of Christ, how Jesus is going to come back for the elect and gather them to himself so that they can be with him when he establishes his kingdom on earth. In verses 28 through 37, we have the significance of Jesus coming. Some of you might be thinking he's coming, so what? I hope that thought never enters into your heart. I hope you never, ever say in your heart that the second coming of Christ does not matter at all. Jesus wants us to understand the importance of his coming. So he gives two parables uh, in the remaining verses. In verses 28 through 31, we have the parable of the fig tree. And the parable that Jesus gives is not long. It's rather short. It's really more like an analogy. And Jesus issues a command to his disciples. He's focusing on them. And he's saying, learn the parable. Learn the parable from the fig tree. And basically, he wants, he wants him to learn is that in Palestine, there were fig trees. Everybody knew that. They were all around. And we remember when Jesus went into the temple, before he did that, he cursed the fig tree. But there were fig trees all around. And everyone knew that when the branch got tender and the branch started sprouting leaves, that that meant something, that it was a time of the year. They knew that it was summertime is around the corner. Everyone knew that. Now, how do we know when it's summertime? We, we go to the calendar. We find out when summer begins. So that's how we find out. But in Jesus' day, people could tell that summertime was near 
when they saw these, the branch of the fig tree becoming tender and moist and sprouting leaves. And Jesus says, just like you can tell the, the sign of the coming of summer, you can tell the sign of the coming of the Savior. He says you can know when Jesus is about to come to earth for the second time. He says the sign will be when these things are happening. The beginning of birth pains, the abomination of desolation. When you see those things happening, Jesus says that is an indication that the Son of Man's coming is near and he is basically right at the door. So that's the sign that when you start seeing all of these things taking place, you can know, he says, that Jesus is near. Now, a person can be confident, and we should be confident, that what Jesus says about the future is definitely going to happen. Sometimes we might think, well, will this really take place? This just sounds a little bit too fairy tale for me. But, but Jesus said we can be certain that what he has said about these signs, that it will actually happen. He says, you can be certain because a certain generation, the people who are living at that time, they will not pass away until Jesus, things that he predicted will come to pass. There's a lot of ink spilt on this generation. But I think it's the evil generation that will be alive during the tribulation period. And when they are alive during the tribulation period, when they see the abomination of desolation, when they see the other thing, that generation will not pass away until these things actually happen. He's guaranteeing that they will happen. And further, he guarantees it again in verse 31. He says, heaven and earth will pass away. Now chew on that. That's Jesus predicting that there will be a time in the future when there will be no more heaven and earth. He says, heaven and earth will pass away. And if you want confirmation of that, read Revelation 21 verse 1, where John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old earth or the first earth and heaven passed away. But that's not what Jesus is trying to highlight. Jesus said, what won't pass away are my words. You can be confident that what Jesus says will never, ever pass away, that it will be fulfilled. Heaven will pass away. Earth will pass away. But Jesus said, my words will never pass away. And so when Jesus predicts 
the destruction of the temple. When he predicts the beginning of birth pains, when he predicts the abomination of desolation, when he predicts his coming, you can rest assured that that will happen. Jesus goes on record. He doesn't speak fairy tale. He doesn't speak what might be. He speaks that which is true. And then there's another parable that Jesus gives in verses 32 through 37. And it's the parable of the doorkeeper. And before Jesus gives the parable, he gives a double commandment in verse 32. He says, well, the double commandment is in verse 33, but in verse 32, he reminds his disciples that even though Jesus says these things will happen, no one knows when the coming of the man, Son of Man will happen. We, got, we get signs. We got a broad time period. But the day and the hour, no one knows. No one knows when Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, will return to earth. There is one person who knows, and that's God the Father. But Jesus says angels don't know. And Jesus even says while he's here on earth, he didn't know. Now, I thought Jesus knows everything. But remember when Jesus emptied himself, at the incarnation, there were certain limits that he put on himself. And one of those limits is his divine knowledge regarding the second coming of the Son of Man. So here Jesus says that even he does not know. Now, that shouldn't discourage us. Just because I don't know if Jesus is coming on this particular day, this particular hour, that shouldn't discourage me. Instead, it should motivate me to live a watchful life. And that's why we have these double commandments in verse 33. Jesus says, take heed, keep on the alert. Why? You don't know when the appointed time is. You don't know when Jesus is coming. And so you want to make sure that when Jesus comes, that you are alert. Amber alert, fourth time in Mark 13 be on the alert, be on the alert, be on the alert, be on the alert. And also, he tells him to be vigilant. Jesus said, I don't want you living sloppy lives, disciples. You don't know when Jesus is coming back to earth. And even though you don't know, that shouldn't cause you to take it easy and relax and live any old kind of way. You know how we used to do when mother or father told us they were going to be gone for a few hours? We kind of set our watch. Oh, they're coming back in five hours. And some of us, I know Marsha did this, but some of us, we would do things we wouldn't want our mother or father catching us doing. 
And Jesus is saying we need to be watchful. We need to be careful so that he doesn't come and take us by surprise. The last thing that the elect want to happen to them during that time is that they're sleeping when the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, comes back to gather the elect to himself. And so Jesus gives this very simple parable about a man who has a house, he leaves his house, and he gives certain responsibility to his slaves. And in particular, he gives responsibility to the doorkeeper. And that's why this parable is called the parable of the doorkeeper. Jesus commands the doorkeeper to do what? Watch. Watch. And then he takes the parable and applies it to the disciples. And he says, you be on the alert. Because you don't know when the master of the house is coming. You don't know if he's coming in the evening, midnight, cock crowing time, or early morning. Uh, he takes the four time periods between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. And he says, you don't know when he's coming. And my friends, we don't know when Jesus is coming. The disciples didn't know when Jesus is coming. Those who are living during the tribulation period will not know when Jesus is coming. They will see signs, but they won't know when he's coming. And so Jesus says, be on the alert. Stay on the alert. Live watchful lives. Don't allow yourself to be caught sleeping. And Jesus ends by saying in verse 37, what I say to you, disciples, I say to all, I know our eschatology might be of such that we say, well, I don't have to worry about the second coming of Christ. No, our, our eschatology demands that we be watchful Christians, that we pay attention to what we believe and also to how we behave. He's coming. No ifs, ands, buts about it. And for us who are Christians, he's coming back for us at the rapture. And the last thing that we would want is to be not watching and not ready. And result in shrinking back, as John says in 1 John chapter 2. Those who are ashamed and shrinking back at the coming of Jesus. If Jesus were coming right now back for his church, right now, would you be ready? Were you watchful last night? Did you pay attention to your life when you were watching that TV show? When you were on your phone, on your tablet, would you have been ashamed to have the Lord Jesus Christ come back at that time? When you go to your job this week, are you going to be living in such a way that if Jesus were to come back 
for His church. That you can say honestly before God, I'm paying attention to what I believe. I'm paying attention to how I behave. When we truly believe that Jesus Christ is coming again, John says in 1 John 3 that we will purify ourselves as he is pure. And so as we end Jesus' great prophetic message where he predicts the destruction of the temple in the beginning of birth pains and the abomination of desolation and his own second coming, don't forget that mixed throughout these 37 verses is the charge, the responsibility to be alert, to be vigilant, to watch, to, to pay attention to your life. And that applies whether it's the rapture of the church that we are looking forward to or whether it's the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation period. You can't miss it. The amber alerts are all over Mark 13 and says, pay attention. Speak and act as if Jesus could come at any moment. That's what a correct view of end times will do for you. It will cause you in me to live a holy life. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that the future is in your hands. And thank you that in your marvelous grace, you have chosen to give us glimpses of what will happen. And one of the marvelous and wonderful things that we have learned in this passage is that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to planet Earth. And that glorious event will be the time in which he gathers together the elect, those who are saved during the tribulation period, and they will be issued and ushered into the kingdom of God where Jesus Christ will reign on earth. And Father, we will come with Jesus when he regathers those saints to himself. And we will have already been in your presence. But help us not to leave today thinking that we can be slothful, that we can be lazy, that we can sleep spiritually. Your word tells us as the church to be looking for the coming of Jesus Christ when we're caught up in the air to be with you forevermore. So help us to pay attention to our beliefs. Help us to pay attention to our behavior. Help us by your spirit to have you watch over us so that we can be alert and vigilant and watchful. Thank you for the wonderful promises that are in your word. And thank you for the certainty that it will come to pass. That our Lord Jesus Christ said, never ever will 
His words not come to pass. And we're thankful for the sure word of the word of God. Thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.